Welcome to the Chocolate Cake Bites podcast. This is a podcast where we will discuss the sweet nuggets of goodness that come from living the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Ken Williams. The opinions, attitudes, thoughts, and ideas that we discuss are those of the hosts and guests and are not necessarily a reflection of the actual doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's conversation. We're recording. We're going. So welcome to... (laughs) This cracks me up how you're just laughing already. Welcome to another episode of the Chocolate Cake Bites podcast. I am your favorite host, and I say that only because I'm the only one who um, (laughs) knows the password to upload this episode. With your second favorite host, we're going to go with that. Sorry, Annette. And I'm with CJ. But this time, I'm with CJ in person. I'm not just with CJ on Zoom. So welcome, CJ. Thank you. I'm live. I'm being held captive, Yay. but I'm live. That's not mostly true. <laughs> <laughs> so we are on fall break as we're recording this, and we are uh, hanging out for a couple of days, which has been super fun as we are eating too much and um, walking into walls and stuff like that. <laughs> and that's just Ken. That's just me. I'm doing a little bit of all of that. And uh, so as we've had some great conversations as we've done probably, I don't know, it seems like maybe, no, we haven't been probably 10 hours driving yet, but we've done quite a bit. Close we, to it, yeah. Sunday night we did about six, and then uh, we've been kind of bouncing around. I guess we did a couple hours yesterday. Yeah. So right now we are in the booming metropolis of Victor, New York which is about 20 minutes away from Palmyra. So we're hitting some of the church history sites. Yesterday we did the Aaronic Priesthood Restoration site as well as the baptismal site, which I had not realized were two different sites, two different places. And that was a great experience to go. And I'm just going to ask you, CJ, because you're sitting right here and I can do it. Talk a little bit about your thoughts about visiting those sites. Now, just as a reminder, CJ is, we've known each other for a lot of years. And again, he's stifling a laugh, which is cracking me up. (laughs) And uh, so CJ's blind. And so his experience is probably going to be different than, than what mine was or what you might have had if you've been there before. So tell us a little bit about what your experience was hitting those two sites. Well, I really liked, we hit, uh, I had not realized either that the baptismal site was, uh, what was it, about a quarter mile away from uh, the homes where the, the priesthood was actually restored. Yeah, probably about that. And uh, and so we hit the baptismal site first, and I really enjoyed it. There was no one else there. You park, you walk down a path a little bit down to the river where they were actually baptized, and it was just... It felt to me as it would have that day. When you go down to the river, you're going down to the river, um, and, and you lose all the sounds around you. You lose the sound of the highway that's somewhat nearby, and it was just like it would have been, you know, almost 200 years ago. It was just almost nothing. You could hear the yeah. wind in the trees. It was very windy in the trees. You could hear it at the tops of the trees. Occasionally, I could hear the the water... Um, you know, something either hitting the water or it uh, gurgling a little bit. And it was just, I could really feel 
um, the sacredness of that place. I think there's a few spots on earth that are sacred for various reasons. And I think that's one of them. And I could really, it was very peaceful. And I could see how places like that, even with all the tumult going on in Joseph's life, how the spirit could really touch him in places like that, where it's peaceful and quiet and not much else is going on. So that was really neat for me. And then visiting the, um, the restoration site. So there are a couple things there we went to. So the church has this, this huge building where there's the, um, the visitor center, which we got to go in. And then down the hill a little bit is the, um, Isaac and Elizabeth Hale home. And then just a, a short distance from that is where Joseph and Emma lived. Uh, shortly after they were, shortly after they were married, I think is what they said, right? Right when they had their first uh, child. Yeah. And their first, I think it was a son who had passed mm-hmm. away and is buried nearby. So talk a little bit about that. That was really neat. So they were rebuilt structures back in the early 1900s. They burned down and the church acquired them. And back in 2015, they, uh, based on photographs and, and just some research from the time, they rebuilt those two homes and made them look as if, uh, at least to the best of their ability, what they think they look like. And it was neat to stand. They're built on the original foundation, so we know that the they're exactly where they used to be. And it was neat to stand in that whole area. It was all Joseph's farmland that he had bought from his father-in-law. And how neat it was to stand on ground that he had stood on. And I've done that before. I've been to Nauvoo and, uh, you know, Independence, Missouri and places like that. And it, but it was really neat to be where he was and where the Book of Mormon was translated and to feel of that. And then we, after we toured those two homes, um, right next to that is the Grove of Trees where him and Oliver went to pray about, you know, priesthood authority so that they could be baptized. And that's where John the Baptist came and, and gave them that authority. And once again, Ken and I were the only ones there because it was raining and we're the only ones dumb enough to... <laughs> Everybody else is lightweight. Yeah. So that's what it was. <laughs> that's pretty much what it was. So, you know, we're out there and... and uh just very peaceful. And once again, I could clearly see why Heavenly Father directed him to go where he did to all these, what I would call out in the middle of nowhere areas, but they're so peaceful. And and I think the Spirit is easier to hear and understand in places like that. And so today we're going to hit the Whitmer Farm and we'll do some of the Palmyra sites and tomorrow the plan is to go to Kirtland. So we may talk a little bit more about that. We may record another episode before we uh, finish our our travels. But this experience has, get, has got me to think a little bit about President or Elder Uchtdorf's talk from conference called Daily Restoration, I think is the name of it. And he says in his talk... There's an oft-repeated theory that people who are lost walk in circles. 
Not long ago, scientists at the Max Planck Institute for Biological Cybernetics tested that theory. They took participants to a thick forest and gave them simple instructions. Walk in a straight line. There were no visible landmarks, and the test subjects had to rely solely on their sense of direction. Now, this cracks me up because every time, every time CJ and I are out walking and I tell him to go straight, he says, it's all straight. <laughs> it's all straight for me. And he's been criticizing me of, for my um, poor navigation skills. I know exactly where I'm going. And so I just tell him, go over there. <laughs> As a blind person, I'm really curious about where over there is. Well, it's not over here. I know that, but I'm just not quite sure where it is. So the uh, scientists concluded in this study, people really do walk in circles when they do not have reliable cues to their walking direction. When questioned afterwards, some participants self-confidently claimed that they had not deviated in the slightest. Despite their high confidence, GPS data showed that they walked in loops as tight as 20 meters in diameter. So this got me thinking about a couple things. Number one, I guess I already said number one. Number two, several years ago when I was in, I was in a, a flight school program where I was getting my private pilot's license. I, I remember the day, it was a Saturday, that I went up with my instructor and he said we were going to do some unusual attitude recovery. And if you have not been in flight school and <laughs> have never had that experience, that pleasant, terrifying experience of unusual attitude recovery, attitude in flying is just the flight configuration. What angle you're flying at up or down, uh, right or left. What's the tilt? What's the, you know, it's how, how are you flying, uh, relative to the, the ground and, so he took me up and then he put me under the hood. Now, what that means is I had this long visor type hat on that I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see out the windshield of the, of the plane. All I could see was the instruments. And Jim, my flight instructor told me to close my eyes. So I did. And he, I was just sitting there holding the, the uh, controls. And he said, now do a standard rate turn to the left. A standard rate turn is a turn that is at a specific angle. And there's an instrument on the, on the instrument panel that will show you when you hit the standard rate. And what all it means is that in two minutes you will do 360 degrees. And my eyes were closed. I couldn't tell if I was at a standard rate. So I had to guess I, anytime you turn in a, in an airplane, you increase the drag, which means that you are going to lose altitude unless you, you have got to pull back a little bit, uh, and to, to increase your altitude. So I made some adjustments, adjustments. I made the assumption that I was pretty close and for a very long time, it, it was probably a minute, maybe, you know, plus or minus a little bit for a long time though. It felt like he didn't say anything. There was nothing, not a single word. And finally, Jim said, okay, straighten it out, which means now I've got to push forward a little bit because otherwise I'm going to increase my altitude and go back to a straight flight. I, so I'm not turning now with my eyes closed. I couldn't tell. So I made some guesses and he, he let me just kind of sit there for a little bit. And he said, okay, now let's do a standard rate turn to the right. So again, I'm making some adjustments. I'm pulling back a little bit because of the increased drag and turn to the right but I had no idea. And he told me to keep my eyes closed. 
And that to me meant he thought I was cheating. And, and so Eric and I said, I must be killing this. I must be doing better than anybody else has ever done. And after about a minute, he told me to, to uh, straighten it back out. As I straightened back out, I noticed two things. And two things are two things that should not be happening when you're flying straight and level. And I thought I was flying straight and level. That's what it felt like. My eyes were closed. But I started to lift up out of my seat. And lifting up out of your seat does not mean you're going straight. <laughs> it means you're going down. And I started, I heard the engine start to go faster. And again, that is a signal that you're going down. It doesn't mean that you're, that you're straight. Finally, after a very uncomfortable several minutes of keeping my eyes closed as I'm flying, and I had to remind myself, Jim's not going to kill us both. <laughs> Finally, he said, okay, open your eyes and recover. And when I opened my eyes, my brain told me before I had opened my eyes that I was straight and level. My body told me I was straight and level. And when I finally opened my eyes, and I couldn't see out the windshield. All I could see was the instruments. The instruments told me I was not straight and level, but I was at a 30-degree bank going down 30 degrees. And so when Jim said, open your eyes and recover, the word recover means you're not going where you thought you were going, so fix it. So I adjusted, again, only looking at the instruments, pulled back so I could get back to a straight flight, and then adjusted so that I was flying straight instead of turning. Jim said, that was fun. Let's do it again. So we did it again, exact same results. And he looked at me as we're flying. We're about 4,000 feet up in the middle of uh, farmland in Indiana. And he said, you cannot trust your body. Your body will lie to you. If you don't trust your instruments, you will die. And that seemed pretty ominous. And then he said it again. You cannot trust your body. Your body will lie to you. If you don't trust your instruments, you will die. And he said it a couple more times. And after about four times, he looked at me and he said, are you hearing what I'm saying? And I said, I think I'm getting your point. And he said it again. If you don't trust your instruments, you will die. And that was a powerful lesson. We get down on the ground and land, and I went to my sweet wife, and I told her the story thinking there's no way she's going to let me continue flight school. She's going to tell me that, okay, <laughs> this is too dangerous. She can't do it anymore. But instead, she said, this is a great gospel lesson, isn't it? And I had not thought about it that way. I was the state young men's president, and I was preparing a lesson for one of the ward conferences the next day. And her comment was so powerful because it is, there is a gospel lesson in there. If you don't trust your instruments, you will die. So CJ, we started talking a little bit about this. And every time I start having a great conversation, I stop it so that we can record it. So, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about instruments. Let's talk about what does that mean from a gospel perspective? What kind of lesson can we learn from that? We've got president, or Elder Uchtdorf's talk about walking in a straight line. We've got this experience that I've had, and then you've had experiences trying to walk in a straight line, and, and um, you don't have the visual references. And so um, have you had any success walking in a straight line? I can walk in a straight line if I am 
following something. So, for example, if I'm following a curb on, you know, next to a street, I can walk in a straight line. Um, if I'm following a building and I can follow the wall or the, the side of the building, I can walk in a straight line. If you get me on a nice, really wide sidewalk or in a parking lot, I have zero chance of walking in a straight line. I cannot do it. I'm sure there might be some blind people out there that are super gifted that can do it. It is not a gift that I have. Um, I think I am. Sometimes I know I'm not, but most of the time I think I am and I'm not. Um, and people like Ken say, you need to come over here or go over that way a little bit. I just talk loud yeah, or I stomp so that you can hear my yeah, stomping feet is wonderful. So we need to have something, whether it's instruments on an airplane or a wall that you can follow. We need something to help us. Uh, walk in that straight line. And I think the straight line that we're kind of hinting around is, uh, you know, the, the narrow path, the, mm -hmm. the path that leads to the tree of life and, and leads back to our Heavenly Father. So a question about your experience as you're following a curb, for example, do you ever find yourself feeling like the curb must be turning or the curb must be, must not be straight? Do you ever feel like, um, kind of like I did when I was flying, that your your body's telling you that straight is one way, but the curb is telling you something different? Yeah, on occasion. Um, and curbs aren't straight things. And so sometimes you'll be walking along. And my, my favorite is when, um, and I used to have to walk a little bit to get to my office building. So the bus would drop me off and I'd walk a block or two to get to where I needed to go. And uh, I would follow the curb to find the crosswalk that I needed to use. And, but in the curb, there were cutouts because there's places where cars can pull into parking lots or whatnot. And those were a little, a little scary. It's a busy street. I can hear the traffic. There's things like very large buses that would squish me like a grape. <laughs> and, you know, they're buzzing past you within, you know, a foot less than that most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so you, you want to be really careful that you don't get yourself killed. And, uh, you know, when you lose that curb because it's a, a parking lot entrance, you now have to trust your body to tell you where straight is. And I know myself well enough that I, I can't do that. <laughs> and so you start to, uh, I call it cheat. I know I'm heading the wrong way, but I'm heading the way towards safety. So I might miss the other side of the sidewalk and end up in grass, but I'm not going to end up in the street. So I may have to correct, but at least I'm not ending up in the street where my safety is really in jeopardy. And luckily, with the gospel, I think we have some instruments that help us better than just trusting our bodies mm -hmm. and things like that. And I think that I think one thing to understand as we start to talk about the various instruments that we, we have is that some are going to be solid gold instruments, right? They're always going to be correct, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And then we have others that they may be really good instruments, but they may on occasion give us not great information. 
if that makes sense. So give an example of that. What do you mean? For example, I would consider things like the scriptures to be solid gold. Mm -hmm. They are always going to guide me in the right direction. I would consider uh, the general authorities of the church, the men and women who are called to serve the church as a whole worldwide to be solid gold. I know that President Nelson is not going to lead me astray. Right. I have friends that I can turn to that are great instruments, but they, and probably will give me excellent advice, but I need to be a little bit more careful about those types of instruments. I need to maybe ponder just a little bit more mm-hmm. before I come. If President Nelson says in conference, we need to be reading our scriptures more, or as we've heard lately, we need to be holding a temple recommend and preparing ourselves to go to the temple. Right. Whether or not we have a temple uh, accessible uh, to us. Exactly. Whether we can go or not, we need one. And so I'm going to take that and say, okay, I really need to get that done if I haven't already done so. Mm-hmm. If a friend of mine says, you know, you really need to be doing this, it's going to really benefit your life. Mm-hmm. I really need to, to think about that a little bit more instead of automatically doing it. Uh, and to give you a life example, there are certain individuals that if I'm walking with them as a blind person and they say... If they say stop, I will immediately stop. And these are individuals that I know in that particular instance are not going to lead me astray, and they see a danger that I cannot see. Mm-hmm. And I stop immediately, and then I figure out what's going on. There are other individuals that could yell at me in the same way, and I'm not going to listen as closely because I don't know them or Mm -hmm. because they're not as trustworthy. And so that's what I mean when I say that there are certain instruments that are 100% and -hmm. then others that maybe we need to to think about and ponder about and pray about before we take action on the advice that we're getting. Yeah, I think that's true. So I had another experience that, that, um, I had as I was doing flight training, it was about the same time and I flew. So I fly out of a little metropolitan airport that is a couple blocks from my house. It's great, super convenient, but it's not a major airport. It's got a lot of traffic, but the Indianapolis international airport has bigger planes. It has more planes. And part of my training, I flew into the Indianapolis airport. And once you get into controlled airspace, which around my airport, it's not, the airspace is not controlled, but I get into the class C airport airport, airspace around Indianapolis. And I have to check in with the air traffic controllers. They tell me where to go. They tell me what heading to take. They tell me what altitude to take. And this was another experience that I had that was really interesting to me because I took every piece of advice that they gave me 
And as I have thought about that, I've had an experience kind of like what CJ describes that I've had people in my life that have told me to take a certain approach to a problem or to try uh, to solve a, a challenge in a specific way. And in some cases I take that. And in some cases I don't, uh, or I'll take it with some, um, some, maybe some pondering or, or consideration. And I thought about that experience of flying in. These air traffic controllers are probably not pilots. In most cases, they're probably not. And it would be foolish for me to disregard their advice. If they tell me to maintain a certain heading or if they tell me to maintain a, cer- a certain altitude, there could be serious dangers. In fact, I heard at one point as I was approaching the air, the, uh, the runway, the controller was saying that there, it was a, uh, it was a commercial, uh, airliner that was at a point that it would have been a hazard to me, or I would have been a hazard to them. I'm not sure which way it would have gone. <laughs> I was a lot smaller than they were. But if I had deviated from my established course, it could have been disastrous for me and for somebody else. But in our lives, a lot of times we look at other people. Maybe it's the prophet. Maybe if it, maybe it's our parents or our leaders or, or trusted friends. And they tell us, you need to do something. Whatever it is, it might be read your scriptures every day. It might be um, something as uh, as small as wait until you're 16 to to date or make sure that you're I could give all I could get on my soapbox for a lot of things here make sure that you're doing these things you're not doing those things uh we'll just keep it super vague right <laughs> right now CJ and I've talked about a few of these things that could be on this list but it is really easy it's really tempting for us as imperfect people to say <laughs> President Nelson, what does he know? He's 90 some years old. He does he, I'm sure he doesn't even have his medical license anymore. What right does he have to tell me what I should do? But as if I were to ask you the question, why should I pay attention to those tower controllers who probably don't have a pilot's license? They have a perspective of the hazards around me that I just can't have. If that, that commercial jet that passenger airline is above me and behind me. I can't see him. Um, there's no rear view mirror. <laughs> there's no backup camera in an airplane. And so I have to, I have to rely on other people and we all have to rely on other people to some degree. And in some cases it's a lot more obvious uh, as CJ and I walk, are walking through Walmart. He, <laughs> it may be a little bit more obvious that he has to rely on, on somebody who has, um, uh, a different perspective than he has. But why is it that we resist when we, when we get advice from one of these gold or a sterling, sterling silver, <laughs> sterling silver source? Why is it that we resist that? And I don't know that it's necessarily bad because I think there's value in us gaining our own testimony, but I have this, this trait that I think many of us, maybe most of us have that my wife likes to say it's a Williams 
characteristic that I'm just stubborn. And when somebody tells me I need to do something, I resist it. I don't want to do it. And that I think sometimes bleeds over in the gospel that somebody says, you should, whatever, you should study, come follow me with your family. And it's super tempting in a lot of cases to say, watch me. I'm going to do what I want. I'm a free agent. I heard that many times when I was a kid. (laughs) It was always my siblings saying it. Never me. I would never say something like that. But what's your thought? I'm just going to throw this on you, CJ. Why is it that we resist being told what to do, especially when there's somebody who knows better? It could be a parent. It could be a leader. It could be a prophet. It could be something in the scriptures. Somebody knows better. And they're giving us advice on how to make our life better. And we have this strong desire to disregard it. I think it's just a natural tendency of humans in general. We generally don't like to be told what to do. And for a lot of us, we dig in our heels. Um, Sometimes I think it's that we don't have enough trust in the person trying to guide us in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Um, So especially with maybe uh, a new church leader, it it might take me a little while to, to fully understand them and to trust them that they do have my best regards in mind, even though they've been called to a position of, uh, Leadership might be the right word to use, mm-hmm. where I know the Lord is is guiding them. Um, we just got a, a new bishop. Uh, what was it? Maybe uh, oh, it was earlier this year, uh, and I knew him before. He's a good man, really a good man. Mm-hmm. And but in his new role, it it took me. It didn't take me long, but it took me a little while to to get used to him and his leadership style and to get used to, uh, or maybe not used to, but to, to have a testimony that he really did have my best interests at mind, even though he's been called as a Bishop. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes that's the case. Um, sometimes we're just being childish. Yeah, I think you're right. As, as much as, well, Okay, so here's another question, and I don't know that I have an answer to this, and so maybe you can fix me. <laughs> I've tried for years. I can't do it. Yeah, well. So we'll, we'll use the bishop as, as an example, that, that the bishop is not a perfect person. Yeah. And he, based on his life experience, may give you advice that is bad advice. And I'm not sure that I can come up with a good example of that, but um, let's just say somebody's in an abusive relationship and the bishop gives advice to stay in that abusive relationship. And I don't know that that would happen. It probably has, but from many people's perspective, that might be perceived as bad advice. Why would you stay in a, in a, an abusive relationship. So how do you distinguish between, let's just call it advice uh, or recommendation and true divine counsel? Because I think we can get that true divine counsel from various people. It could be parents, could be patriarchal blessing. It could be 
a bishop. It could be uh, even up to the prophet. And then you have situations where there is just, um, this is something that I believe will benefit you. And so I'm going to recommend that you do it. Like I, I recommend that you read the scriptures every day or whatever, you know, <laughs> it could be anything. Right. Yeah. It could be anything. And I think the key to those situations and differentiating between the two is with the only group of people that will never lead you the wrong way. Uh-huh. And that's heavenly father, Jesus Christ and the Holy ghost. And so the, the means that they've set up, to teach us truth or to testify when we hear true things is through the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. So if that means that on occasion when uh, we'll use my bishop, we'll say uh, either uh, I'm in the young men's program right now, so you know he might say to the young men, you need to do this, or he might say to us as a ward family, we need to do this. And sometimes I immediately feel the Spirit, and I know that what he is asking me to do is right and that I need to do it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he may say, we need to do this, or I want you to think about doing this. And I need to go and ponder it for a little while. But if I'm in the right frame of mind, Mm -hmm. and uh, we talked about this yesterday, if I'm in the frame of mind that Moroni talks about at the end of the Book of Mormon, meaning that I have an open heart and an open mind, which we defined, or I defined yesterday, as being willing to hear whatever the right answer is, even if it might not be what I would agree with. Right. That is what, at least to me, is having an open heart and an open mind. So if the bishop is saying to me, you know, you need to be paying, uh, not that he ever would, but 15% in tithing. Mm -hmm. And I think about it now, I'm not rich enough to pay 15% in tithing. <laughs> so this would be a, a, a big ask of me. And, you know, if I thought about it, my my inclination would be, no, I don't want to do that because mm-hmm. I can't afford it. But if the Spirit came to me, if I was in the right frame of mind and said, yeah, you really do need to do that, then, but I can only receive that answer if I'm in that open mar- heart and open mind. Right. But... The Spirit will never lead you astray. Right. And one of the things about the Spirit that I absolutely love, as I've as I've learned, and I'm uh, the more I have learned, the more I have discovered that I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> in this life. But one of the things about the Spirit is that the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are love and peace and joy. And if if the, I would put this in air quotes, if the confirmation from the spirit that we feel or that we interpret comes from a place of fear or lack or um, anxiety, then that may not be the spirit. That may be something different. And I'm not sure that I want to explore that right now on this, uh, on this podcast, but uh, maybe a future episode, as soon as I figure it all out, then I can tell you what, what's right. But um, that's as I've, as I've considered how do I know whether something is my own anxiety that, ah, you shouldn't do that or from the spirit. I think the spirit speaks to us in a, in a calm, peaceful manner and not uh, a manner that 
induces fear or anxiety. So, Not to say, though, that if the Spirit tells you to do something, that it's instantly going to be comfortable for you. True. The and sp- that's, I think that's important. It's being personally comfortable with something does not necessarily, that's not necessarily equal to having that peace and comfort. I don't know if that distinction makes sense, but yeah, it I does mean, in my head. In the Come Follow Me lessons this year, we're learning an awful lot about the Lord asking people to do very uncomfortable things. And they were right things, and they were the right things to do, but they were situations that were uh, uncomfortable for them individually, hard for them to accomplish. Uh Um, And so I think we need to be careful that we don't, insinuate that what the spirit would ask us to do is always going to then make it easy or comfortable to do rainbows and unicorns. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that once we get that confirmation of, even if it's a hard thing, we will have peace about it. Mm -hmm. We will understand in our souls that this is the right thing to do. Right. And even though it may be hard, we will know that it's what heavenly father wants us to do. Yeah. And I think that he does ask us to do hard things sometimes. All the time. <laughs> have, have you ever had to do something hard, CJ? Uh, just a few times, yeah. <laughs> I, You know, very rarely does Heavenly Father ask me to do easy things. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, so, that's, I think uh, that's true. Yeah. I. So I think maybe I need to reevaluate when I say those solid gold ones that are never going to lead me astray. There may just be a few individuals on earth of that caliber. There's only one that's never, ever, ever going to lead me astray. Mm-hmm. And that's the Holy Ghost uh, communicating on behalf of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Right. And we know from from a, a doctrinal standpoint that the prophet, speaking as a prophet, will never be allowed to lead us astray. Which is which can give us a great comfort. Now, we may not always agree with what he says, and that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not speaking as a prophet. And it doesn't necessarily mean that um, we're not where we're, supposed to, where we're supposed to be. I think it's really interesting. I believe that Heavenly Father lets us find a journey. And he lets us have experiences that lead us to the path that leads us to him. And... Um, sometimes I think that he allows us to, and I don't know if I'm saying this right. I think, I think the expectation, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The expectation is that we are going to make mistakes. We are going to sin. We are going to do things not right. And so when I say he allows us to do things not right, I'm not saying that he doesn't, that, that he has control over our lives and that he marks are every step. I'm saying that I think it's okay sometimes when we deviate from the path because we gain experiences that we may not have gained otherwise. And I I was telling CJ the other day that that a lot of times I don't recognize that something is the spirit. I don't recognize something as a prompting until after the fact. And I can kind of analyze it. Oh, so that's why I felt this way about that decision. 
as I can kind of see things come together. And I, sometimes I learn from having made the right decision and I see how it all plays out. And sometimes I learn from having made the wrong decision and I see how it all plays out. And then I can kind of piece it together and okay. So when I felt this feeling, that was, and, and one example of that, I was on my mission in a not great part of town. This was a, just a little community of shacks, um, excess wood and things were used by people to, to build almost like lean to shelter type things. <clears throat> As we're walking through the area, there are these four teenage uh, kids that uh, came up to us and I had a really uncomfortable feeling. The short version of the story is that we were robbed. I lost about $45 on my watch. And, um, it was a lot of years later that I was telling that story to my kids. And that's when I realized that that uncomfortable feeling that I had wasn't my social anxiety, which is what I kind of chalked it up to, but it was a prompting from the spirit. This is a bad situation. They invited us into their shack and my companion was talking to one of them. So the other three surrounded me and asked me for money. And I said, I didn't have any, which was not really true because I did have some money that I was supposed to keep on me at all times. And so at one moment they had coordinated this. I'm sure one of them grabbed my shoulder or my neck. One of them grabbed my wallet and one of them grabbed my watch. And I looked down, there was a gun. I thought I'm done. <laughs> my life is not worth the $45 I have in my wallet. And so they, they uh, got away with that. I did get my watch back. It was super exciting that <laughs> they brought back my watch. So, um, and I don't think that's wrong. I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad that we sometimes miss recognizing something as a prompting from the spirit. I think sometimes that is just part of our growth process that we learn and grow. And it's like developing a muscle and you develop a muscle by using it and, and, uh, exercising it, um, bringing it back to what we started out with. I think that there is, um, it was, we have had a couple conversations over the last couple days about being right and being wrong. And as you're following a building or you're following a, a curb or you're following the, the words of the prophets in the scriptures or our modern prophets, as you're doing those things and you get the feeling that this is not right, the curb is not straight when it really is, or you're in the air trying to fly straight and level and your body says you are straight and level and everything around you says, no, you're not. I think there's value in, I like what you said, CJ, that is not thinking necessarily that you're wrong, but being open to the possibility that you might be off. You might be wrong on this and you're willing to consider. And I think the way you said it yesterday was you're willing to consider any answer that you get. And so if you pray about whatever you think you're on the right track and you're pretty confident that you're on the right track, your body's telling you that you're on the right track and you get this, um, maybe this anxiety about something that's been recommended to you. And you're open to consider, what if I'm wrong? What if the curb is straight and my body just thinks that it's not? What if I really am going off track if I continue to, to trust my own instincts? I think that's where we can start to find power in in relying on and trusting in the Spirit. Yeah, I, I, 
brought to mind if I channel my inner uh, Elder Uchtdorf. Uh, and I've done some reading uh, in my life about pilots and, and when they get in those types of situations where their body is telling them one thing and the good pilots, the really good pilots will ignore everything that their body is telling them. Right. And they will focus only on their instruments. And those are, there's instinctual pilots and there's good pilots. One of them is short-lived and one of them is rather long-lived. Right. So when we have something in our life that is contrary to what the scriptures are teaching us or to what modern-day prophets and apostles are teaching us, then I think we need to to really look at ourselves and say, I I need to get down on my knees and pray to make sure that I realign myself with the instruments that God has provided to me. Right. And and the Spirit will help us get realigned if we're open like you just talked about. Yeah, we have to be open to it. And and that's the only way we can get back on track is if we're open to being told that we're wrong. Now, maybe it won't happen. Maybe we'll be told that we're right, that this decision is right for you. Mm-hmm. But we have to be open to be being told, CJ, what you're doing is wrong. You need to listen to the prophet or what I am trying to tell you through scriptures or to your bishop or whoever it may be. Yeah, so I think I think a way to kind of a, a litmus test is if the this if the spirit were to tell you how do I want to say this? If you were told that you had to do something different than what you currently believe. If you're willing to be open to that and ponder it out, consider it, et cetera, as a, as a true alternative, then I think that's where we need to be. If you're not open to it, if you are close to, to the idea that you might be off base, then I think that's where it can start to get dangerous because then we start trusting ourselves. So good discussion. Thanks for uh, hanging out with me for a couple of days. Uh, thanks for the road trip. It's uh, <laughs> thanks for always good to hang out, even if it has to be with somebody like you. But exactly. Uh, my favorite, my favorite part about the whole planning phase was CJ saying, I'm excited to get away for a couple of days, but I'm not super excited about the company. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have said that. <laughs> that was great. So, but thanks for listening. Um, share thoughts that you have about, this or other podcast episodes, Ken at chocolatecakebites.com. We'd love to hear what you have to think. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Chocolate Cake Bites. Please like, share, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating or review. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas, and you can reach out to me at Ken at chocolatecakebites.com. And before you end the day, take a few minutes to consider, who do you know who needs chocolate cake?